Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSI Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you are subscribed or following NIMSI Insights. If you follow us on LinkedIn, you're going to be one of the first people to know when we publish new research at NIMSI.com or when we schedule new live streams or host new virtual events on this platform. Uh, speaking of upcoming events, we have a great event tomorrow about investing in the language services industry. And I am actually not going to be hosting that one. That's going to be my colleagues Angelica and Laszlo, who are talking to Marcus from Mayfair Equity Partners, I believe. For, forgive me if I got that company wrong. But it's great if you're interested about M&A, uh, financing, exit strategies, any of that stuff that affects our industry here in the localization industry, then make sure to tune into that. A quick introduction to the platform here. We are coming to you live on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you are watching us uh, after the live stream, chances are you're on YouTube where we archive all of our episodes as well as create podcast versions of those. But if you are here with us on LinkedIn Live, then you can leave comments, use that commenting feature, and we'll bring those up on screen. And any questions, comments, criticisms, we, we love to have those. So, without further ado, let's introduce today's topic, which, uh, honestly, like, I am super excited about today's topic because two of my favorite things to geek out about, which are language and the Bible. We're going to be talking about Bible translations. So, quick introduction here. The Translation Insights and Perspectives Tool, TIPS. Dot translation dot Bible collects and freely displays data from all languages in the Christian Bible and has been translated to highlight the different ways culture and language have particular and sometimes unique capacities to communicate certain messages in exceptionally enriching ways that other languages cannot. This is relevant to anyone interested in how hyper-multilingualism continuously transforms a text and how translation is a process that fulfills a text rather than loses meaning, a topic which we will surely get into today. My guest today is Yos Zeche, returning to the show. You were one of my first victims on the show. Let me give you a quick introduction here. Uh, Yost is interested in languages and translation, both in his practical application as he works as an English to German translator and writes about how technology can support the translation process. And he's also interested in the aspects beyond that. What impact do languages and translation have on our lives? He also supports translation companies with how to position themselves in the current translation business landscape by helping them to identify what their core strengths are and how to communicate that to potential clients. Yoast is the offer of a translator's toolbox for the 21st century and Translation Matters, which I've got my copy here. Um, oh. Yes, I'm, I'm a fanboy, Yoast, Translation Matters. And also what's not interested in here is this lovely coffee table book, um, Characters with Character, which is a fascinating book 
I should have positioned my camera better. That goes through a bunch of characters from um, languages of lesser diffusion and explains the meanings behind them. I know it's a very personal book for you, Yost, and it was a, it was a, a pleasure for me to read. And but today, well, and for you to help produce it, right? I mean, you were deeply involved in the process. Well, we did, and it was uh, it was published through multilingual media, so we had a we had a hand in that process. But Yost, welcome, welcome to the show. And of course, today we're talking about the the tips system here. What I forget, um, help help me explain the the subject today. So, let me uh, you know. Um, <clears throat> I studied history, so I always want to go back a little bit. Um, I had about eight years ago, seven years ago, I had an idea that um, you know I've been dealing with translation all my life, um, and at the same time also dealing with Bible translation. Uh, that was the topic of my um, my PhD thesis, and um, I it struck me that we have you know three and a half thousand um, languages translated. The Bible has been translated into three and a half thousand languages. And we really don't have access to those translations. I mean, we can, you know, buy them or read them online, but we don't have access in the sense that we don't understand them. At the same time, I know that um, languages are unique, have unique ways of expressing text, of expressing um, what they need to express to their cultural lens. And um, I thought, wouldn't it be something to um, have a tool that collects these um, translations and makes them accessible to a reader and by that um, essentially enrich and enlarge the text that they have translated and of course the bible is the by far most translated document or set of documents in the world and i mean by far by you know leaps and bounds and um, so i thought this would be really cool to have a database that documents that i then try to find um, supporters, uh, a, a supporter to to help me with that. And it took me a couple of years, but I eventually did find someone in United Bible Societies, which is the umbrella organization for all the um, regional and national Bible societies. And I have been working with them ever since for six, six and a half years now or so, and have built this tool um, with the aid of some programmers, with an aid of the aid of a really experienced board of Bible translators. And um, and that's what we're talking about. And we've called it um, Translation Insights and Perspectives, or TIPS for short. And it's accessible online for free. And um, we have tried to make it as usable as possible. We, I'm sure, have failed sometimes. Um, but um, overall, it's very easy to use, very accessible. And and the data is ever growing. To, just today, I've, I've um, brought in another thousand or so stories that I was able to you know work on in the last few months and, and have now been able to import. And so it's, it's always growing. It's very large. It has, um, you know, 800 some languages right now. It um, touches on about three quarters of all Bible verses. Um, it um, and and it's it's just really massive. And we have started recently to um, also add more uh, multimedia data, videos, um, images um, that also relate to Bible translation or our Bible translation. In fact, I think we'll talk about that later. 
Um, and um, yeah, it's it's a to me it's a you know I'm a Christian, so I'm interested in the Bible, but I'm also a linguist, and to me this is you know a linguist's dream come true. I, I'm handling more languages that you and I and everyone else knew were around. I mean, right. we know there's 7,000 languages, but, but you know, to actually deal with languages that are spoken by sometimes 300 people or 200 people, sometimes 60 or 100 million people, but, you know, languages of all sizes, shapes and forms is just really, really, really interesting. And, and I'm trying to make that, I'm trying to communicate my enthusiasm for the topic matter and for the tool, you know, as much as I can to the outside world. It's, and thank you for that, that additional context. Yes. Um, it's a really fascinating initiative here. And I want to try to see if I can explain it and you can correct my misconceptions here in a little bit too. But before we get too far into it, if you are following along at home, this is a, a great write-up in the May issue of Multilingual, and Yost is a regular contributor to Multilingual. But this one is on page 18. The article is called The Language of Faith. And I've read it several times now. I, I highly recommend you guys to go check it out. It's um, It'll provide some more context to the conversation today. And we're going to try to do it justice here. Um, so to for, for me to just kind of reiterate in layman's terms, essentially what the tips, the translation insights and perspectives tool here, and I'm going to bring it up on screen here, essentially what it is, you've, the Bible's been translated into, and let me pull this other graphic up on screen here. The, the Bible's been translated into over 3,000 uh, 3, languages, or 3,500 languages. And what, what, what did the article say? 800, 900 different variants of English are not even included. It says 900 translations into English, not variant, um, I mean, not, not different English variations, but just into proper English, there have been 900 translations, it's crazy. translations of the Bible, which is kind of insane, right? But But yeah. And your your thesis somewhat, or one of your theses in, in the article is essentially refuting this trope, as you call it, of lost in translation, right? Mm. This is something that laymen, non-linguists like to say, well, something's always lost in translation. And th there is some truth to that. Some stuff can be lost in translation, but also stuff can be added during mm. translation because a true linguist who's really passionate about their work is going above and beyond to add context to make it relevant to the local language speakers and culture. And that is essentially what this database seeks to capture is what is added in translation. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, like you say, a translation is never a one-to-one -one scenario, right? You you never will capture exactly what it says in, in any original text in the translation, but you are intending to express the the um, as much as you can the meaning of the text, and by doing that, you will have to add elements also to make it to make it reasonably understandable for um any any group you're writing for and languages the message comes to mind for my yeah, my english sure. perspective which sure yes right. but but you know um so so languages are so differently structured right um um many languages 
for instance, just a tiny example, but an interesting example, many languages um, have an inclusive and exclusive um, first person plural pronoun, mm -hmm. right? So we um, can mean different things. We can mean me and the speaker and the person right next to it. We can also mean just me and this person right next to it and exclude the speaker. So th that sounds really technical, but it has tremendous implications if you have um, scenes or if you have text that uses we, uh, a, a speaker or a writer or a translator in that language will every time have to make a decision which of the we's is actually meant. Now, the Greek text doesn't say that, the Hebrew text doesn't say that, the English, Spanish, French, German text don't say it either. So that speaker has to understand the context of the text that he is translating well enough to, to know which pronoun he needs to use, right? So mm -hmm. that's very technical, but it adds intelligence to the text actually because the process the mental process that that translator had to go through i don't go through as a german or english or chinese whatever speaker because i don't have that problem if you will or i don't my language doesn't require me to think about it but i can benefit from somebody else's thinking about it about this particular issue and suddenly the text is enriched by me looking at what what that person has decided whether the we actually includes the person in the text that i'm reading um, includes the person who is spoken to or excludes that person so technical but interesting because it, it it adds context it adds content actually to to that um you know particular sentence or segment or you know phrase whatever yeah. and now it's all it's all captured for people you know lay people who and when i say lay people i don't mean um lay people in the religious sense but lay people from the not language not linguist geeks like us sense and it's all captured for anybody to go in there and check it out right well i mean it's it's a it's still a long press well, process I, yeah right i mean captured, so but. right i mean so you mentioned that there's three and a half thousand languages the bible has been translated into right now we have data from 800 some languages and um, and there is, you know, this this is a, a project without an end date. This is a project that's sure. going to go on forever and ever. At some point, I'm sure I'm going to hand it over to somebody or to a group of people. Um, but um, it's it it has a good. We have started well. We have immense amounts of data already, and which is only going to be a small percentage of the data that we eventually will have. Well, you, you say project without an end date, you know, and this intersection, you know, language and the Bible, right? It goes back literally to, to the Bible. And you, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. You have a great list in here of oh, all these different references to the translation. And, you know, most people, they'll think of, oh, you know, the story of the Tower of Babel, which you don't even mention in here. Yeah. And they think of, you know, speaking in tongues, which you do mention in Acts of the Apostles. But kind of, you know, walk us through this. You know, Jesus Jesus spoke Aramaic, but they were working out of a Greek Bible, which was translated mm -hmm. from the original Hebrew. Um, yeah, so the, the, it's it's... I, I think this is endlessly fascinating, right? So we, when we deal with the Bible, and in particular with the New Testament, Old Testament to some degree also, but the New Testament in particular, we are dealing with a translated text. So we are 
um, you know, when Jesus is quoted in the in the New Testament, in the Gospels, or in other parts of the New Testament, he is speaking Greek, but he likely was able to understand and speak Greek, but he didn't speak Greek to his apostles or to people that he talked to. He spoke most likely Aramaic. Every time he or someone else in the New Testament is quoting the Hebrew Bible, you know, what we call the Old Testament Christianity, they are actually not quoting from the Hebrew Bible, they're quoting from a translation of the Hebrew Bible, which was widely used at that point in, in, um, in, in the, among, among Jews, because that was, um, Hebrew had actually fallen out of, um, Hebrew was not a language that was widely used anymore at that point, and um, the language that was used instead with, was either Aramaic or Greek. So the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible was the Bible that was um, quoted by Paul and by Peter and by by Jesus in in the New Testament. So it's it's um, you know it's in, in, it's inherently a translated work that we are dealing with with the Bible, which is super fascinating, right? Because if that's the case, then it's sort of a nod to translation that translation is possible. You know, if, yeah. if the Bible, which people take so seriously, some maybe a little bit, you know, too seriously as far as the single word is concerned, but but um, if the Bible is translated itself in the original, well, that gives a real hopeful uh, shout out to translation in, in general, I think. Right. And the question that comes to my mind is, um, as you know, Christians will say the Bible is the infallible word of God. You know, I don't want to speak for all denominations, right? So, one question I have for you, as a Bible translator yourself, if the Bible is the infallible word of God, and it's being translated by humans who are, of course, fallible, then how does that get reconciled in in Bible translation? Well, that's a that's a very big question. I know, not to go too deep into apologetics here. <laughs> no, no, no. So, you know, there's different ways to understand, to understand um, what actually is, um, what actually is to be understood and, you know, by the term in, in, an infallible um, word of God. Is it, is it the word by word, um, you know, um, individual, um, phrases, individual verses, or is it something that um, we have to view the Bible as a very complex book, uh, a number of books, 66 in the Protestant tradition, that um, that um, makes sense only as a whole where everything relates to something else. I think that one of the problems that the church has gotten um, into a lot of trouble with is by picking out individual verses and saying look what it says here and look this is what we need to um you know what we need to see as a truth and as the infallible truth but in reality if you look at the context of that of that verse or uh you know it within the pages it is written in and even in the greater context within the the bible as a whole then sometimes um you know you need to understand things maybe a little bit differently and not so much out of context. Um, and, um, you know, of course, Christianity as a whole believes that um, that the 
the biblical writers, which of course are also humans, they're not. It's not that God wrote the Bible. You know, sure, nobody sure. believes that. Um, were inspired by God to to write the Bible. Um, and um, you know, um, do we believe that translators are inspired by God? I'm I'm not sure. I think they're they're praying. That, for that, that was kind of my question, but I didn't mm -hmm. want to come right out and ask it. Like, what yeah. is are, are Bible translators Christian? Do they like are there requirements for that? And what are the kind of? I mean, do they have to like take a vow and get anointed with holy water before they open up their Trados <laughs> studio? No, no, no. And they don't use Trados, by the way. Uh, sure. um, right. They, so I think I think what is happening. I think the best way to summarize what what's happening today in Bible translation is Bible translation typically is done by indigenous teams um, of of translators who very often are Christian, who are not always Christian, um, and they are being equipped with incredibly uh, helpful material to allow them to produce the best possible translations possible. And then they are working very closely with um, um, consultants who are, um, you know, um, not only preparing um, the work by working with them on on uh, key term lists, et cetera, et cetera, but also then checking verse by verse um, the the translation that is being produced, even though the consultants often don't speak the language, but by using sophisticated back translations and by a very intense process of you know of of discussing the translations, um, the translations typically are being reliable um that doesn't mean that any translation is perfect no translation is perfect ever you know and and i think one thing that is really fascinating to me is that um that if a or when a church establishes itself um in any given language there's going to be new translations later on there's you know it's not that the one translation that is done at any point uh, in history will be the translation forever and ever but um, you know, um, with uh, increased education, with an increased um, well-established church, there will be translations that will become better, that will be more idiomatic, that will be more meaningful to the people that um, that um, translation is being done for. So, so any translation is always just a starting point and a very important starting point, of course, um, but it's, it's never the end product. Excellent answer. I um I I want to and I don't have a slide for it unfortunately, but you you cover this very well in your article, so I'm just going to read from it uh, because I think a lot of people, you know, as you know, people that have been reading the Bible their whole lives, they never stopped and think about like how does this translation actually happen. Most mm. of and if you're an English speaker or a German native, then you know the your translation was done hundreds and hundreds of years ago and. But new new languages are being translated every day. So I'm just going to read read from this. We're on page 21 in multilingual here. It's interesting to observe the apparent gap between translation work from the original text into European languages and the current lack of original language scholarship in other native language translation communities. Here's how this is typically solved. So we're talking about what we're talking about specifically here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is 
okay, like ideally the Bible would be translated from Hebrew to the language or from Greek to the language, but that's not always possible with indigenous languages because right. try finding a Hebrew speaker, right? So here's how this is solved. A translation consultant well-versed in the original languages, whether it be Hebrew, Greek, whatever, meets with the native language team and aids them with things like creating translations of key terms and setting up processes with a very sophisticated translation, research, and publishing tool called Paratext. Uh, these consultants can be freelancers, but they're more likely working under the auspices of the Bible societies or organizations like Wycliffe Bible Translators. While the translation team might then continue to work from a set of existing translations in the dominant language, often a colonial language such as English, Spanish, French, or Portuguese, but also languages like Indonesian, Tagalog, Russian, and Chinese, it stays in touch with the consultant until the translation is complete. This translation is the back is then back translated into the dominant language and checked verse by verse against the original text by that same consultant. How do I know that? Says you. Because those back translations and paratext form much of the material for a project I have been working on, which is the translation insights and perspective tips tool here. And I thought that was just really interesting to kind of see how the sausage is made there. And really from, you know, I'm a project manager. I'm a localization project manager. I'm all about efficiency, <laughs> right? I'm all about my translation memories and reuse and machine translation. And that's not the case. You, you mentioned jokingly, half jokingly, but you're serious that, you know, translators don't use Trados. Um, hmm. It sounds to me like just more of a very academic involved process than a translation project that many of us in our industry would, would know. Right. Um, so um, it's a very technical process at the same time, though. So there's, um, you know, the tool. It's so interesting to me. I, as you know, I'm I'm sort of knowledgeable in the translation technology space in in the general translation industry, and um, and it's so interesting to me to see the technology being used by Bible translators, which is completely different. Right? They have they don't use the same tools than we do, but have instead build a tool that is highly sophisticated um, but has a very different purpose um, and has um, and and um, and by design there is a very manual aspect to working in that really complex technology because there is this perceived and real need to really check verse by verse by verse um and um it's really interesting that the con the the discussions then that happen within the, the framework of paratext the tool that is being used are really intense sometimes really intense and and sometimes controversial and sometimes going back and forth and no we do want to use this term but you know is this really the and then of course not in english necessarily so right now i'm i'm working on a on the documentation for a language called query which is a um um which is a, a bantu language um and all the discussions are happening in swahili of course because that's the common language then between um the the translation consultant um and and the translation team and and very very lively and and um you know very respectful but um certainly um certainly um interesting to read and and very rich for me to read because then I can that allows me to find out um, things that that um, the translation consultant or the translator 
might not even think as being so special and being noteworthy and being um, data that could be highlighted in, in my tool, but often I do find really interesting stories there in, um, in, those, those, um, in those discussions. Yeah, this is the tool Paratext and yeah. it's massive. It um, gives you access to unlimited amounts of, of um, Bible translation data, etc. And of course, tools to check against the Greek and Hebrew text. Um, it gives you um, access to very richly annotated um, Bible translations in the most in the larger languages and those larger languages as you um, read are often the colonial languages and languages of um, you know Indonesian is very important in Indonesia and and Papua New Guinea have a huge amount of languages um, and um, Chinese is important Russian is important all languages that are the dominant language in areas where there is lots of Bible translation activity. And, and you mentioned the back translations from this tool, from Paratext, form mm -hmm. the basis of a lot of the work that, that you were doing. Um, and talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what was that process like um, when, when you first started this? Like, what was the first step? Where were you getting the information? How were you structuring it? And how did it evolve and lead to the tips system that you've created today? Right. So when I first started, I, I started with published materials. So, you know, there is um, there are a number of um, magazines, um, journals out there that for Bible translators, by Bible translators. And I, you know, essentially went through the, you know, few decades of of um, of their publication and 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 harvested them for information. Lots of books have been written. There's um, there's also um, handbooks that have specifically been written for translators that have many examples that I found useful. And at some point, I you know was able to form enough relationships within the translation community that I could then ask. Um, people specifically to give me either access to the data or ask questions um, about specific things that then led to, you know, more access to data. I also have a board that consists of um, seven or eight um, different translation consultants um, that um, are well known in, in the industry, in the Bible translation world. and. Um, have they have given me very generous access to all kinds of data so nice. right now i'm focusing not so much on published data if there is published data that i haven't seen i you know of course i i, I will harvest that still but i'm really more looking at um data that um is sort of happening often live in in you know translations that are that are ongoing it's ongoing um, like you're they're yeah. taking notes, you know, you got the consultant, you got the native person, they're sending notes back and forth and having conversations and you're kind of looking over their shoulder saying, sort of. yeah. mm -hmm. what yeah. insights do you have for me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to be as respectful of their time. They sure. Oh, sure. sure. you imagine they're completely overworked. And so typically a Bible translation consultant doesn't work with one project, but has up to 10 different projects. He works with 10 different languages and, um, and they're, completely stretched usually and um depending on the it's a big book 
it's a, it's a big work, you know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's super fascinating work. Now, and these Bible translation consultants often are highly qualified. They all have their PhD, or most of them have their PhD. They, um, after they get their PhD, especially the ones that work for United Bible Societies, the, the, the um, organization I work for, go through a between five and 10 year um, apprenticeship program after they get their PhD, wow. <laughs> before they then become um, Bible translation consultants on in their own right, which, you know, makes them very highly qualified and and um, makes them remarkable people. And not only because of that, but I, you know, always keep that in the back of my mind as I communicate and talk with them and um, know they're not, um, you know, they have important things to do. So my project is important. I do believe it's important. They believe it's important, but still I have to sort of find a common ground there sure, of sure, not sure. being too annoying and too, you know, on too much on their case. Um, and yeah, so that's been a, a very interesting process. But overall, they have been very generous. And if I have especially specific questions, they have been very, very helpful in, in giving me the information that I need. So the tool, and that's kind of interesting also, the tool really has two different audiences. One audience is, um, is translators and Bible translation consultants themselves who can use, you know, the, the um, can use tips as a reference tool, as a tool to get, um, find information that might inspire them to find their own terminology, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> That's the one highly specialized audience. The other audience is us, you know, who um, are just interested in language, maybe interested in the Bible and, um, and who are not specialists, who don't understand. I mean, you and I might understand something about linguistics, but the typical person doesn't. So the challenge for me is to write the information and structure the information that I have in such a way that it's applicable to both. That is, that's not frustrating to the experts who were like, oh, what is he talking about? This right, is right. so you know, baby stuff. Um, but at the same time, not frustrating to people who I might overtax with too much technical information. So that's an interesting challenge to have that I, you know, constantly am aware of. And I try to, you know, I and my board try to, um, to respond to that by constantly negotiating the style of me writing the text by structuring the information so that without making it too complex to use some data can be high, can be can be can be um hidden some data can be you know displayed depending on who you are and what kind of data you want to use nice i yeah. want to take us back to the article here because there was this really cool timeline that i don't think is your timeline but you cited it in yeah. here uh let me just pull this up and get rid of this get rid of this sorry guys all right it's hiding behind here somewhere here we go the timeline of periods of bible translation right, right. and we, we talked about this a little bit it's it's inherently a translated text from almost day one or day <laughs> negative numbers <laughs> based mm -hmm. upon the calendar right um yeah. And I was hoping maybe you can just walk us through this quickly. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different phases, and then bring us up to talk about what phase we're in currently. Sure. So, so the Bible, um, you know, like you say, Bible itself is is um, not everything, not not 
not you know everything in the Bible, but at least the New Testament is greatly uh, is largely translated, um, <clears throat> especially the Gospels, which of course form the sort of the basis of Gospels are the the um, the accounts of Jesus' life and his his ministry. Um, they are translated in the sense that everything that Jesus says is translated, and everything that he quotes from from the Old Testament or Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible is also um, from a translation from the Greek um, version of that Hebrew Bible. Um, uh, the um, first um, Bible translations that are happening in, in about 200 um, BCE are um, translations that are um, done in languages that we don't usually think about, um, languages like Aramaic, Coptic, the language that was spoken in Egypt, Ethiopic and Gothic. And the reasons why those were done, those translations were, was because those were the early churches. The, you know, one of the very earliest churches that something we don't think about um, is, for instance, in Ethiopia. You know, there's a story in Acts, um, in the book of Acts, where um, a, um, an Ethiopian eunuch is being is becoming a Christian, is being baptized, and he's going back to Ethiopia. And in fact, that story or that, you know, possibly that man then actually starts a church in Ethiopia. And so the Ethiopia has earlier churches than anyone else. And they, of course, have an interest to translate. Interestingly, in that case, um, those um, um, translations into GR, which is the, the language that they, that they use, um, has now become the language that they now translate into into um, current Ethiopic um, or Ethiopian huh. um, minority languages. Anyway, the next big um, point, of course, is um, the work that um, Saint Jerome did. Um, you know, the the patron saint of of translation. I, I know that because of your Twitter handle. I know that's Jerome. The, that's right? the only reason I know who the patron saint of translation is because of your Twitter Twitter handle. <laughs> well, so he he is this guy who. Um, translates, um, he's not the first translator of the Bible into Latin, but the one who is um, clearly the best translator and has a really um, strong handle both on the language and the Bible, translates the Bible into Latin. And for the Catholic Church, that translation becomes really important because it becomes the de facto, you know, um, de facto Bible um, mm -hmm. until really 1960 or so and when when or 1950 1953 or something um, when the Catholic um, Church says we can also now translate Bibles from not the Latin version that Jerome translated but from the Hebrew and Greek text and um, and then shortly afterwards a number of other languages European languages just come up um, you know Dutch um, Czech Armenian etc etc then of course martin luther and shortly before him the era of printing starts which allows not um hand copied bibles um but printed bibles which has a huge impact on bible translation as you can imagine and um is partly responsible for the reformation which then of course leads to a protestant church and the splitting off um of um splitting off from the from the catholic church um in in the early 1800s um, Bible societies are being started in um, both the US and England. And um, those Bible societies really push towards um, translation into um, languages across the world, um, especially China and Africa are, um, China in particular, and I, I know that because that's that, that was my academic work, is focus of, um, of that effort to translate Bible into Chinese and other languages. 
And um, and um, then um, 150 years later, approximately, um, a new era starts, which um, comes with um, the starting of an organization called Wycliffe Bible Translators and SIL, Summer Institute of Lingu Linguistics, which um, starts sort of training translators um, to, or, um, usually American or Western translators to go across the world and and um, translate or help translate Bibles into indigenous languages. Um, in, 1960, in the 1960s, then, the, the um, Vatican II happens, the, the you know, Catholic um, um, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, convent, or, uh, not convent, it's not the right word, um, the Catholic uh, agreement that the church needs to be reformed in some way, which leads to interconfessional translations, so translations that Protestant and and Catholic and sometimes Orthodox Christians work on together. The lovely thing about the people that I work for, United Bible Societies, we are interconfessional, so we are, you know, doing. I was going to ask, yeah, but yeah, we, we don't. It was just super, which I'm so glad about, and it's, um, it's also super interesting to work with, you know, Orthodox folks and Catholic folks and you know, Coptic folks, Orthodox, but, you know, all kinds of people with really different approaches to scripture, but, um, you know, all are valid approaches to scripture. And it's very, very interesting for me personally and for the project to have not just one strand of faith um, be represented, but have the whole variety of faiths um, being represented. And then, you know, in the 1970s, something starts that that I find just so interesting and, and so relevant for today still. Um, um, kind of a shift happens from taking it taking the translation away from the flight missionary and and having indigenous teams work on Bible translation, often with the oversight of a missionary or and or with um, you know a Bible translation consultant um, who might be um, you know, not necessarily a, a white person who might be from, you know, Indonesia or from Russia or from, you know, wherever they might be doing translation. And, um, and that continues through today. What I find even more interesting that today we are in a time um, where um, this still happens, but something else is also happening. We are kind of moving away from text. Um, from written text. Um, not that we are, well, I shouldn't say we're moving away from written text. We are including a Bible translation, many other forms of translation that are equally valid and, and often more valid, in fact, for groups that translation is being done for. So that starts with um, sign language translation. Sign, there's uh, 400 some languages, sign language uh, languages around the world. And um, and in many of those languages, most of those languages, some translation work has started. Um, the English Bible, in fact, for the very first time ever, was just published. Um, the complete English Bible has just been published um, in sign language, in ASL, American Sign Language. Wow. And um, yeah, it's amazing. How, and, many, and how many hours is that? I'm just curious. No, a lot of hours. Many years. Many, many years um, that they, they, they used to. No, I mean to, to, to watch it. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, a lot. <laughs> Sorry. That was, yeah. this is the maturity level of my questions. <laughs> well, so. uh, I think those are good questions. But yes, the, um, I'm, I'm working right now um, 
interestingly with Russian sign language a lot. I'm actually um, working on a back translation of the Russian sign language translation of Luke that I'm going to include into into um, into the tips project. Um, but aside from sign language translation, there's also an understanding that um, in some cases um, oral Bible translations might be appropriate either as accompanying um, you know regular text translation or as um, maybe being the foremost Bible translation. Um, well, this is, I mean, there's a lot of indigenous peoples out there that they, the literacy rate just isn't there. They don't read. And I mean, countries that I've visited, I know I was, I was shocked when I, I'd find out that they were using the Bible to teach people how to read in their own language because people didn't even learn their own languages in, in the schools. They would learn English or the colonial languages. And right. I thought that was really interesting um, mm -hmm. because, I mean, it, it kind of begs the question, well, why even translate it into that language if they're already reading it in English? And I, based upon this conversation, I, I think you've answered that today. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, so so there, um, it, it's a, it's a, it's it's not an easy question to answer. Um, um, it, it, um, <clears throat> typically, um, what you are trying to um, do, or what you know, churches are trying to do in um, in anywhere in the world, is to present their members with a um, translation in a language that they can completely relate to. They might be able to speak the majority language and read the majority language in in their and whatever region that they live in, but it might be something that they cannot really connect to and, and cannot truly understand in a way that you and I can understand, you know, in the languages that we are really familiar with. Um, and, um, and so it's a long process of, often a long process of finding out what the need for a specific group really is. Is it really important to translate a Bible into a group that of 200 people maybe um, who um, speak a certain language, a language that might be dying out, um, you know, um, hard to say, but often that is the case, unfortunately. So what, um, what the churches are trying to do is to be wise into making decisions to see, you know, whether a Bible needs to be translated in any given language. And sometimes those mis um, uh, decisions are, um, have gone awry. Um, you know, there, I've just recently started to document a little bit from a, um, from a Bible in, um, in uh, Liberia that has never been touched, was completely translated, New and Old Testament, 20 year process. But by the time the Bible was, um, was done, the Bible, the language had died, essentially, you know, so, so immense work had gone into translating that, that, um, language but it was for naught because um, nobody speaks that language anymore actively you know young youngsters <laughs> did have an interest um, they prefer to um, learn English in Liberia and and that that version is you know is, is useless and there are there are a number of examples like that but overall churches are trying to make wise decisions on what to translate and and that's what they're doing then 
I want to, and thank you for adding that additional concept. You're right. It's not an easy question to answer, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know Tim Brooks, right? A fellow regular columnist. I'm not sure if I'm speaking to him this month, but he's come on the podcast before. He does a lot of work keeping languages alive. Um, If you're listening, go check out the work that the Endangered Alphabet Project is doing. I think there's a lot of overlap here. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go over to the tips system and I keep calling it tips because it's good. I, I mean, that's what we want people to. Call okay, it. good. I don't have to say translation insights and perspective. And I, I want to kind of do a live demo here because yeah. I haven't used this before. Do do we ha- have a verse that you'd like? Yeah. Go to, go to Mark 1125. I think that's right. Mark 1125. Let's see whether that's right. So let's see what we got here. Yeah, uh, that's, a really, that's a nice example. So whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses, is Mark 25. So, for our right, podcast so, listeners who can't see the screen. So you can see that, um, you know, there's the Greek original text on yep. um, on the left-hand side, followed by a English reference text. doesn't matter from what version. It's just a reference text. And then you have on the right-hand side about, 15 or 20 different, we call them stories sometimes or insights that all relate to that particular text. Um, And um, so every one of those words you see here or phrases are actually phrases from from that text. And you can see that, um, you know, um, sometimes they're just interesting little insights. um, And sometimes they are also terms like the one that's coming up here forgive and forgiveness that have massive amounts of data you know oh, wow. you have 20 or 30 different languages all of which are try have tried or have translated the concept of forgiveness difficult concept to understand for sure. anyone and if you and culturally and dependent it, too right exactly and if you go up again a little bit um Tucker, and if you click on that um the view graphically thing here then you see that we also have done a graphic representation of these of these terms that have lots and lots of data. So you can see it more easily and you can you don't have all the the, the detailed data there, but you get an, an idea of what we're talking about here. And then if you scroll down on that screen a little bit, you go to the horizontal a little button that you have there and choose radial. And then you can see that even in a in a fancier um, layout there. Pretty cool, huh? This is freaking sweet. I know. And it's even dynamic. So so it once, you know, um, these it's a database. It's like a it's database. a live database, right? Mm-hmm. So you're adding to it and those changes are being added in real time. And immediately being displayed, yeah. So it's really cool. I mean, there's there's a you know, like I said, I do have a team of programmers I used to have just one now i have a team um that are really good and that are if i have an idea what we could do usually are able to put that into practice really quickly um there are downsides to the tool i you know i don't want to just say sure. how wonderful it is when there are some problems one one problem is so it's this hyper multilingual tool 800 some languages in one language <laughs> So we have not really found a smart way of making um, of making this um, multilingual for end users. We are talking about 800 languages and documenting 800 some languages, and will be 900 soon and more than that. Um, but it's only done in English, and w- which is a real heartache for me and my and and the, the team that that I'm working with. 
um, the, the data is so massive at this point, it's really, really large, um, that it becomes unreasonable to manually translate. And it also becomes unreasonable or is unreasonable to machine translate it because it's the nuances that are really it's absent. literally about the nuances that's exactly right and yeah. and as you and i know machine translation is not going to capture that well and and so um this is a problem that we have been staring at for years literally years now and um and there are some ideas how to fix some of it but um we'll, we'll see we'll see how we how we um how we go about it. The other thing that I sometimes wish would be different. So users can search data in a number of ways. Um, you can search data by verse, like you did just now. Um, so you can say, I, I'm reading a certain verse in the Bible. And I want to see what other languages have to say about that. Um, and um, you can also search data by term. So you can enter any term you want, whatever, you know, and um, you will get um, everything that has to do with you know father whether it appears in the in the in the text of the little story or in the in the um in the heading and you can find um information about that and that's all good um and you can also search by category so if you click the pick the category there's all kinds of different uh categories that we kind of made up that that specify what um kind of data you can find and we did that well, as an aid to help, but we also did that for new users of the website so that they can get an idea of what to expect from, from this tool. So one problem that we, it's not a problem, one thing that we have, I'm entering data into the tool and because the Bible is so large and because the data is so vast that I have in the tool, it sometimes virtually disappears. It, it's, well, somebody can find it, of course, if he or she specifically looks for it or specifically stumbles on the verse that this data might refer to. But um, it, it's sometimes, you know, I have this amazing, interesting data, and I know that it might be a year and a half before somebody finds that again. Um, so that's what it, we have. It's a user data. experience problem, essentially. It kind of is, you know, and, and, um, and we are, of course, grateful for any kind of suggestion on how we can, how we can make that you know, easier to find or how we can, you know, do that better. But, um, but yeah. Well, so that's, uh, that's very, you know, uh, very humble of you to, to go through that. I think the tool's amazing for what it is, especially, you know, considering this is put together. Um, you guys aren't becoming millionaires off of the back of this. You can tell this is a w work of passion, right? Uh, no. Yeah. This is a work of passion. It's a work to help people. It's a work to leverage cross cultural knowledge. You know, all of these things that I, I personally am, am passionate about, obviously not as passionate as you to actually go out and put my money where my mouth is, but Hey, I'll host you on the podcast so you can talk about it. <laughs> and that's my contribution. Um, as we're, as we're coming up on the hour here, I, I, I wanted to bring up this this quote here from an article. Like I said, you've been reading or you've been contributing to multilingual and other publications and running your own blog for years and years and years and years. Um, and you you said this ten years ago in a 2013 article. I Yoast ended with this. Here's my dream as a faithful translator sitting in the pew. The next time my pastor expounds on the broader meaning of a biblical term that 
that foreign-sounding word he draws from may not be Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, but Quechua, or Navajo, or Korean, or any of the more than 3,000 other possibilities. Sometimes dreams work out just fine. And that's why, I mean, I expect to see this in the, the PowerPoint presentation during the sermons, um, coming because it's a really cool it's a really cool tool and you know every once in a while the sermons say well here's what the Hebrew blah 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 and they go into a diatribe oh. about that I mean that's a common occurrence exactly. but how and much cooler if they could bring five other languages into it that's right and and he and not only five other languages but link but um, from a source that the people who listen to the pastor can easily access and and look at them up themselves one of my um, great you know I'm a Obviously, I'm interested in languages. I mean, that's, you know, that's you and I are about languages, right? And and so it's there is a certain interest that I have when, you know, a pastor or my pastor talks about the, you know, Greek or Hebrew origin of a certain term. But what really bothers me about that is what the pastor is actually saying kind of is, Folks, you don't really understand the Bible. Let me explain what the real meaning of the Bible is by explaining to you what the Greek or Hebrew actually means, not what, what you find in your translation. I know the real meaning of. And I think. Yeah, wasn't there some sort of reformation to settle this topic? That's exactly. Like, it's like I, pre Reformation stuff. It's right? like, you know, it, it drives me crazy. It drives me, it, it just, you know, it. It essentially says, I have the key to the kingdom and you follow me and you listen to me when I explain, as I explain this text to you. And that bugs me, has always bugged me. And and I just think- But, but now make... you, the linguist, are the ones with the key to the kingdom. <laughs> well, now, now I'm making it more democratic. Now I'm know, saying, know. you know, you can, you, can, you can go out just as the pastor has gone out to my tool. You can all go out to my tool and 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 read that information rather than having it you know in the in the in the uh, theological degree that your pastor might or might not have and and um and so that's that's one thing that you know i feel sort of passionate about very passionate about actually and and um and i i'm looking forward to be, this being more used in churches i mean that's part of what i'm doing um now is that i'm you know working on continuing my work on the tool to make make it better and make it um, more comprehensive. But I'm also writing a lot um, and publishing a lot about the tool um, in, you know, Christian magazines or journals and um, on I'm, I'm on podcasts and whatever. Um, and including this year, of course, to make the tool more known um, and, and more widely used. Um, you know, it's a phenomenal tool. I think anyone who looks at it will have to kind of say that because it is phenomenal. It's not not me who made it phenomenal. It's the data that's a phenomenal, um, and um, and I want it to be used by every single person who is interested in the Bible, by every single person who is interested in language, and clearly by pastors also who you know who who wrestle with a biblical text or should wrestle with a biblical text every week for a sermon or for other stuff. And they should be able or should want to look at how other languages are confronting the text. And especially, and I hate to kind of say it like, like, like that, especially in, in the US where, you know, um, sometimes there is not maybe the greatest appreciation what um, other languages aside from English 
um, or in this case, it's born people, out of but, ignorance. I can let me speak for my people, right? Us Americans, like we're we're ignorant, and I don't mean that in a malicious way. I mean that just in a matter of fact way. We're ignorant about other languages because we're not exposed to them, right? I think there is a thirst for this in the American pews. Why do I know yeah. that? Because it is not an uncommon occurrence, for example, that my pastor will bring up five different translations of a verse. However, one's from New King James, one's from the New International Version, one's from the American Standard Version. You know what I'm saying? So there is a thirst for this to provide additional context and you know be a better shepherd, whatever metaphor you want to use, right? Um, and it's just we're ignorant here in America about the existence of other languages. Yeah. Let me show you. Let me let me tell you one example that I actually just added last week, and it took me almost a year to to have that person who gave me that example give me that example because it was all complicated and whatnot. This is the language. Um, this is a language um, in in Brazil. It's called Marubo, spoken by fifteen hundred uh, people, and they have a super complex. Um, a super complex system of um, of past tense. They have um, the past tense of today, the past tense of yesterday, and I think two weeks ago. Then the past tense of two weeks ago and several years ago. Then the past tense of your childhood, and then the past tense of anything that might have happened before you were alive. Um, and um, and the the um, the verse that that person dealt with was. Um, uh, at at um, one point, um, um, Jesus heals this this um, blind person by smearing mud on his eyes, and and he does it on a Sabbath, which was not allowed among according to the Jewish um, religious authorities. And they confront the man and say, "What did this What did this preacher do to you?" And he says, "The, the man answers, he put mud on my eyes, and he put mud on my eyes was really complex to translate for that." Um, for, for, for that translation team, because did they actually interview him on the Sabbath also? In that case, it needs to be the form of the past tense that includes today, right? Did they interview him maybe a day or two or three or four after it? In that case, it needs to be a different form of past tense. So what's interesting about it is that these people had to look at that simple verse, so easy, right? He put mud on my eyes and had to go into a week-long discussion about um about what um that um uh let's see here go go uh, to it's i think a nine nine eleven it should be is it no uh wait he answered um, the man called jesus made mud spread it on my eyes and said to me let, then i went nine ten maybe nine ten but they kept asking no, let me let me um, pull that up here on, on my um, side so I can tell you exactly where it is. No, uh, I was just chuckling because like my pastor literally preached on that two Sundays ago. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's top I'll of go to nine fifteen. It's nine fifteen. All right. We'll speed over there, John nine fifteen. All right. Then the Pharisees okay. also began to ask him how. He had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. I don't see it. So washed, past tense. He put, past tense, and then I washed, past exactly. tense. Right? But, with but past no tense, context. Right? No context for me as an English no speaker. No context. So, so this, um, actually, this, um, 
the, the, the person that I, I got to know the person because he started a discussion on, on a on a discussion list specifically for translators and it went on for days and weeks um, and he finally then decided to use the to to um, he made a decision that the Pharisees actually interviewed him that very same day. Is that really important? Not really, but kind of. You know what I'm saying? There's just a little bit of additional information in that in in that in in, in that particular piece of text that you didn't have before. And the information is that someone spent a lot of time to to think that through and come to a decision that this is what it was. And and that's, now and that's captured. And now it's captured. And that's interesting for me and interesting for the church, interesting for anyone. You know, we had no idea before this was captured that this tiny language has this complex system of, of past tenses. Now we know, and that's interesting. And and that's what I'm doing. Well, very cool. Any, any other last minute? I'm watching the clock here. We're already over time. I told you that was going to happen once once we get to chatting. Any, anything else we want to cover? Oh, you know, I should probably say I've I've recently started to put a lot of art um and into into the tool. And you can, you know, your listeners can can uh, go to the website and just choose the category art, or I think it's called whatever. In it's the called. tips um, tool. In the tips tool, uh -huh. and that's um that's been a lot of fun for me to do. Um, I've chosen art um and um also icons. A lot of icons I've chosen um that um. Uh, I put it into context. Uh, you can see down here a few examples. Um, uh, art that is sort of, uh, that helps you to to meditate on maybe some of the verses rather than giving you a super clear image of what 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 this is about. Um, so this this is, or, you know- It wasn't enough to stop with 3000 languages. This, no, <laughs> you had to go into multimedia as well. I did. You yeah, are nothing if not ambitious. Okay, so here is something really cool. Uh, don't don't do that right now because it's going to not transfer well on on a on our with the sound here. But um, I have a number of videos from Southern Altai throat singing. Oh, I can um, I can do it, video. I can do audio with my setup. It's super cool. So so here is the these um, several verses and the uh, several parts of the book. The whole book of Jonah, for instance, is done um, with with the Southern Altai throat singing. It's a throat singing like we know from the Siberian throat singing. It's mm -hmm. very similar to that. And, and here's the amazing story. So this is not only back translated for me so I can use it. I would never use this if it's not, if it's not made applicable to my, I, I don't do stuff that is just exotic. I do stuff that is helpful to readers, right? I would yeah. have never used these videos if they just sound fancy. It's interesting because it's also back translated, but the story behind it is so great because it's Southern Altai, it's a small language in in um, in uh, in Far East Russia, and um, and um, it's a language that um, where where the throat singing had completely gone out of fashion until. Um, recently, where throat singing has had this renaissance, people listen to this, um, according to the woman I have talked to, who um, has given me access to those, and these 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 um, these songs with the text of, in this case, Psalm 23, have such an impact on the people who listen to it, much, much more potentially than the written word that's also available. And I think that's amazing, right? So here's this guy who... Thank you.
That's super cool. I'm not going to do all well two minutes cool. of it. I mean, People can go check I, it out I, themselves. I, my, my wife has, have, you know, she she um, thought it was interesting, but I've actually played it at home a lot, and she was not too happy about me. I was going to say, yeah, it's like giving your kid a drum set. <laughs> but I, I, you know, this stoic man who, who, um, you know, who is um, has helped to to revive this old form of of song and this culture that has this renaissance right now, and people are, you know, to us, to you and me, we listen to it and go like, are there actually words in it? We can't really hear words, I, you know, yeah. but they can. Sounds and, like and my garbage disposal needs fixed. Kind of. Like that. No, <laughs> no, I, I think no, dis, no blasphemy, no disrespect, <laughs> right? But to so my ignorant this, American ears. No. So this is this is stuff I'm very excited to find also, and I'm really encouraging, you know, folks to give me access to stuff like that so I can include that as well because I know it's this is interesting for um, my audience for the users of this tool, you know, to not have it all just in text, but but to communicate, like we said earlier, that the Bible is not only being translated into text, into written text. The Bible is being translated into all kinds of forms, you know, whether it's storytelling, whether it's song, whether it's dance, whether it's art um, um, or sign language, all kinds of um, ways that the Bible is being translated. And we um, can learn from all of them. Um, uh, you know, we might just be um, glued to our, to our, you know, Bible on our desk or whatever, but but um, we can also enlarge a view of this interesting text by looking at so many other things. And, and that's what I'm trying to present as much as I possibly can. Well, thank you, sir. You are literally doing God's work. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for your effort. And thank you for coming on the show today. Um, hey, uh, coming back on the show, you were one of my first victims, as I said, who, who came on my podcast. So I appreciate that. Um, Multilingual.com, guys, is where you can find out more about Multilingual Magazine. And I say that because Yost is a frequent contributor um, submitting articles. Do you run a column or do you just submit a lot of articles? Oh, I, you know, I'm on the board, actually. For well, I, yeah, board. I should mention that, too, right? And and um, so I, I just, um, you know, over the years, I've written a number of articles. For them. Yeah. I'm the call. I'm the guy they call when they need to fill out four pages <laughs> and the print deadlines in three days. So... Um, yeah, I got an article in the next issue. Well, Yost, thank you so much, like I said, for coming on the show. Everybody, go follow Yost on social media. Uh, Twitter, JeromaBot is famously his Twitter handle. And I'm going to take him out and take us out here. Ladies, gentlemen, I appreciate our guest today, Yost Seche. I appreciate my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all that hard work so I can have these fun conversations. I appreciate everyone in our industry who fills out NIMSI surveys and schedules briefings with our analysts so that we can include you in our published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. All of the dialogue and chat and everyone that's going to go follow NIMSI Insights and follow Yoast after this. And with that, I'll say I look forward to next time. Cheers. Thanks, Tucker.